Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford and I'm your host and I'm also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. We have a wonderful show lined up for you guys. As I promised, we're traveling down to the South America to speak to someone who is very familiar with uh, that part of the world, who is also a coach who lives here in the States as well. So he has a very interesting perspective because he's seen both sides of the border, if you will. All right, so if you're just joining us, what is the Inside Scoop? The Inside Scoop is a podcast we've created at Anytime Soccer dedicated to helping parents learn about the different soccer pathways that would be available to their child if they move to another city around the world. And what we're really doing is using youth soccer as a way to establish a cultural exchange with expats that live here in America and folks that live all throughout the world. And we've had some great shows. I've interviewed folks who, a coach who lives in Paris, I've interviewed a couple of folks living in Germany and in the UK as well. And it's just been a really, really good cultural exchange. And then one more housekeeping note, if you haven't checked out Anytime Soccer, uh, training, I encourage you to do so. Go to www.anytime-soccer.com and join the mailing list and we'll send you over 50 free ball mastery and juggling videos. Anytime Soccer Training is a website that we're launching pretty soon this summer that will house over a thousand 100% follow along training videos that cover all the major areas of individual skill development. I've told my story before, and um, I've also shared my story on the podcast. I grew up um, not playing soccer. And as a parent, I really wanted to help my child, uh, my children get better at soccer. And at the time there, I couldn't find any um, resources that were 100% follow along that followed a set curriculum and had the variety that I needed. So I would go on YouTube and find this and then talk to this coach and observe practice and try to pull it all together to help my boys. And you can do that, of course you can do that. And I encourage you to do your own research. But what we've done with Anytime Soccer Training is we've taken you know, 10, 15 years of my knowledge and I've worked with academy coaches from here and abroad and we've created a curriculum this consists, that consists of 100% follow along videos, step-by-step step to help your child uh, supplement their training when they're not with that coach in, or, or that trainer. So again, check out www.anytime-soccer.com to learn more. And now we're on to the show. I have a special guest from San Miguel, El Salvador. And his name is Ruben Rivas. Ruben, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm honored to be on the show. Thank you. Thank you. So I've spoken to Ruben a few times on social media, and then we've built a friendship over uh, previous conversations. And I, and I can tell you, he is extremely passionate about youth soccer. He's coached and he's played at various levels, and I'll let him share his, his background with you guys. But what I like about it is he's, he's focused on continuing, continuing to grow and learn, and he has a very interesting perspective because he knows how both systems work. Work Now, he played youth soccer in El Salvador in the um, early 90s, and that a lot of his experience he's going to reference there, but he also has up-to-date experience here in the States. So we're going we're gonna to juxtapose what it would be like if my child lived and played in San Miguel to, um, and compare that, those experiences to what it would be like if my child lived and played in Cary, North Carolina, where I'm from. So with that being said, Ruben, introduce yourself and then we'll get started with the show. Okay, well, my name is uh, Ruben Rivas. Uh, I'm a coach. Uh, I played uh, college soccer and I played academies back at home in, for my hometown club named uh, uh, City Aguila, which is the professional club from San Miguel. And City Aguila is the second biggest uh, club in, in El Salvador. Um, Aguila has been 16 times national champion, only behind FAS, which is the uh, number one. And Aguila is, is famous to be to have the most uh, fans in El Salvador and one of the biggest clubs in Central America. 
Uh, so that being said, in my city, there's two things. There is a city Aguilan, the other one is Dragon. And Dragon it, it's, a, it's a team that they used to be the main team in San Miguel. But then they went to um, they, they, they went to second division, then they came back to first division. So then Aguila came along and Aguila became the main, the main team in the city. So San Miguel is the third biggest city in, in El Salvador, but by now some people think it's the second uh, biggest city and more important for El Salvador. So we, we, we have two teams. Like I said, Aguila is the main one. It's the one with the biggest fans, one of the biggest ones in Central America, and Dragon, which is another local team that sometimes they're in second division and sometimes they're in first division. Okay. All right. So that's, that's really, really, really. So you play youth soccer, and I'll uh, paraphrase it, at one of the highest levels, at one of the biggest clubs, and there are two or three ma two major clubs in that, in that city. And yeah. so just so you know, as a guest, and my loyal listeners know, we're going to unpack a lot of that, right? And I love digging into the details so that our um, guests get a very visual understanding of what that actually looks like, especially when we start talking about um, the promotion relegation and how that impacts youth soccer. For example, in the UK, um, they have their own separate promotion relegation within the youth soccer that's totally separate than the promotion relegation at the professional level. But obviously at the, at the, at the men's or women's highest level, that promotion relegation also affects their academies. So we're going to talk about that as well. All right, so let's tee it up. The way I like to get my guests warmed up and understand the format of the show is I give a little background and play a little hypothetical of what would happen if your 10-year-old uh, son or daughter moved to Cary, North Carolina, where I happen to live, and wanted to play soccer. So the first thing I'm gonna do is give you a big overview of the soccer, youth soccer landscape in Cary, North Carolina, to the best of my ability, I'll probably, you know, if we have some listeners, I'll probably leave out some key stuff, but give you a basic parent's view of what I'm seeing in Cary, North Carolina. And then I'm going to ask you to do the same thing based on the your best of your knowledge of what's going on in San Miguel, or at least your experience in San Miguel. Okay, so here we go. So you move here. And the first thing I'm going to tell you is get your pocketbook ready. You're going to pay to play. And that's because we have an overarching pay-to-play system that permeates all levels of youth soccer in our um, in America, right? And what that effectively means is no matter how good your child is, um, you're going to pay as a parent tuition to give them access to the training, okay? And the, the amount that you're going to pay is gonna be based on a couple of factors, but the biggest factor is the level that they play at. And we have a few sort of clear and concrete levels of play in America. We have a clear recreational um, programs. And those recreational programs are offered by municipalities, clubs, so your quote unquote pro professional clubs in America still offer recreational programs. Your government, local government and city councils offer recreational programs. We have franchises that offer recreational programs, churches and mosques or parishes, they also offer recreational programs. And then we have some nonprofits that just offer recreational soccer. And that's no different than you and I deciding to go down to the uh, courthouse filed to be a nonprofit that offers kids an opportunity to play soccer, all right? And that's the mommy and daddy or the coach, the kids are having fun and they're just playing. And the big big thing about that is you can play recreational from the time you're U5 up to U18, right? That's a recreational pipeline. Then we have an in-between that we call challenge. Those challenge programs are normally offered by what we call our clubs. Right. And I'm using I'm saying what we call our clubs is because we have some clubs that are attached to professional teams, MLS team or a uh, USL team or whatever. And then we have some clubs that are soccer clubs, nonprofit soccer clubs, but they're not really a, attached to a um, professional outfit. Well, those clubs tend to offer challenge programs and those programs are for kids who don't want to commit to, quote unquote, travel soccer but want something a little bit more than rec. And, and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast. 
And because you're from the States, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but let's just say that's middle of the road. So I'm not going to get into how much they practice and that kind of stuff, because we've talked about that a lot. And because you're in the States, you're going to know most of this. Then we have what we call travel soccer. And travel soccer um, looks different at the different ages. But for all practical purposes, that's, that's, the, that's the big category of our most competitive soccer. That's where the kids practice two, three, well, normally three days a week, and they have a game on the weekend. They typically have some kind of licensed coach. Um, and it's a ten, normally like a 10-month program, and it's relatively competitive. Now, all the young kids are placed that try out and, and play for travel soccer tend to, quote unquote, make the team because the club just absorbs them because, again, it's pay to play. But the clubs generally create all of these layers of teams based on the kids' skill level. And I'm pointing that out because in everywhere else that I've interviewed, those professional academies don't accept except everybody. They don't create all these different teams. Paris was a tiny bit different. Paris kind of did that a little bit, but even then it was clear if you were part of the real PSG or you're part of PSG's um, lower division teams. But here we have a vibrant market of kids who play for top clubs, but do not, or but for whatever reason, don't make their top team. Okay, and a club can have thousands of kids, which is a very weird thing to most people around the world. Anyways, as the child gets older, these travel teams begin, these re, they're normally scattered throughout the city. So that same club will have several travel teams throughout the city um, at the same age group. And again, that's created so that the parent doesn't have to drive halfway across town to play soccer with that club. And the club is doing that because, again, the parent is paying tuition. Those teams begin to slowly consolidate into the highest team of that club. So your club here in, in, in America, if you bring your 10-year-old and I tell them to try out, they will more than likely be placed in a region or part of the city club that's near where they live, and they will be placed on a team, gold, silver, red, or whatever, within that city, within that area's structure. So that area will have a top team, a middle team, and all the way down. But as that child gets older, those, say, six teams start to consolidate into four top teams. And then those four top teams consolidate to two teams. And then by the time they get to U13, U14, U15, in that age range, those two teams consolidate into one academy team. Now, if you live in a city that has an MLS, that academy team, those kids may not pay to play. They got some other fees, but in general, they're not paying. So like an FC Dallas's academy team, those kids generally don't pay. But even if you plan at a, uh, on the top team in a, in a club that doesn't have a proper academy, which is sanctioned by U.S. soccer as being an academy, um, or, or you're in a club that has an academy but is not MLS, there is still a very high probability that your child can play, no matter how good they are. Now, there are scholarships opportunities, but those scholarship opportunities are still within the um, framework of you know, a pay-to-play system. Now, the, the only other distinction, the only other thing I want to say about this, the way the system works is, let's say that you, for whatever reason, want to go off the grid. You don't want to be, you, you, you don't feel like your child is going to get the attention and the development they need if they go to one of the quote-unquote mainstream clubs. Well, there are other clubs in our, in our area that at least promote themselves as providing the same level of training that the child may receive at one of these more established clubs, but they're not, quote unquote, recognized by U.S. soccer as one of these mainstream clubs. And I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but basically, they're almost like rec clubs that offer great training. And then they form leagues within each other. So our, our Latin American clubs, a lot of them are like that. My son's club used to be like that until they now uh, have been, um, they joined the U.S. club soccer organization. So now they're 
quote unquote, an official club. The only reason that matters from a parent's perspective, if you can picture this, if no, and they and that club falls under the sanctioned leagues of the U.S. Soccer, U.S. Club, and there are a few other like AYSO, I think, and there's some other ones. There's a pipeline or structure of leagues that ultimately culminate as they get older into these national championships that you would hear about. And there's college coaches and scouts that go to these national and regional championships uh, that look at these clubs that play in those. Okay. So again, we've talked about this on several podcasts and I encourage my listeners to go back and listen to earlier shows where we break it down into even more detail. But if I had to put it in, in a bow, uh, Ruben, if you come here, you're going to play. I mean, you're going to pay. You can choose what level you want to pay at, play at, and it's pretty structured in that regard. And for the most part, no matter how good you are, you're going to have to pay considerable money, you know, a couple thousand dollars at the higher levels. And there's some clubs that offer regional opportunities, and there's some that don't because of, you know, if they're recognized by U.S. soccer. And we don't have a massive scouting apparatus that plucks kids away and puts them into an exclusive academy of like a pool of 30 kids and, and the parents don't pay anything. We don't really have that. Some MLS clubs do, but in general, we don't. And that's what makes the U.S. soccer landscape different than most places around the world. So I said a lot there. Let me know if you have any questions, but that's kind of how it works here. And now I'm interested in hearing how it works in San Miguel. Okay, so um, but San Miguel, like I said, is, is the second biggest city in El Salvador. And the way it works over there, there's only, only every city has their main league. Okay, so San Miguel has their club league. And that's where all the clubs, all the serious clubs are. And then there's the academy, which is the academy for Aila. So basically, the academies, they compete in the city league, but, but they also compete with academies. So um, this is the way it works. Like if, you know, if, if, if you were to move to San Miguel and you have, a, a, let's say, a 12-year-old, and, and then the first thing they're going to, you know, if, if you ask them, hey, you know, my, my son plays soccer or my daughter plays soccer, well, do you know a club? And the first thing they're going to tell you is every community over there has their own soccer team. Okay, so, and that's, that's a little bit more of a wreck. They're not very important, but that's how everybody starts. Everybody starts in their own little community. Team. And some of those communities do have a club in the city league, which is the, the main one, okay, what everybody wants to be. So once you go to that city, um, city team, this is where you compete, you get recognized and all the stuff. And then the people, the, the better people on that league are the ones that go to the academy. Now the academy is from the professional team so the academy, they have an open tryout every year. Anybody can go try out. So, you know, the 13, 11, 14 years old kids are going to go try out with like 500 kids. So out of those, they're going to pick around 18 or 20 players. They're going to pick the best. And once you made the team, that's when you start getting, you know, trained by people that used to play in the professional level, sometimes Salvadorians, sometimes foreigners, because these are uh, uh, professional clubs in El Salvador. They usually have a, a, a foreign coach and they have, they're allowed to have three or four foreign players. And what happens is some of these players are from Argentina, Brazil, South America. Sometimes they bring players from, from Europe, but majority are from South America, Colombia. So a lot of these players, they come to play professional in El Salvador. They stay living in El Salvador when they're done playing professionally and they become coaches. So a lot of the coaches in the academy are usually people that used to play for the club, either professional club, reserve club, or um, their youth system, or some of the foreigners that used to play for the professional coach. 
So uh, everybody wants to join the city league. That's where, that's where everything begins. That's where the competition is. Once you are in the city league, then you have more chances of going to the academy. Because in the academy, you can only, the majority of the time, you can only be in there if you're really good. Like, because in the-, but, in the so, let, let me, so hold on though, let me unpack something though. Okay. So I get there, and I can I totally understand. Are you saying there are a lot of teams within San Miguel that will play in a city league? Yeah. That's okay. And and what is that organization? So here it will be a nonprofit. What is that organization? No, that 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 will be the San Miguel Youth League, and they're tied to the National League, the National Youth League. Okay, so hold on. So you have a Sam, you have a national youth league that effectively says all the cities you guys organize your own sanctioned leagues, and the kids play in those leagues. And yeah. do that those teams do they have tryouts? Uh, not really, because what happens is the majority of it, it in El Salvador. I don't know in other countries, but in El Salvador, if you play soccer when you when you're in the city league, you're already good. Like they know if, if they don't know who you are, if they don't invite you, you're most likely not going to play there. They has to, they see your history first before to invite you to one of those teams. So you have to be good enough to be on, on those teams. And sometimes it's not just you, you just have to be good enough, but you have to be big too, because you know, in, in, uh, in youth leagues, size, you know, is very important. So in, in those um, city leagues, they're very competitive. So sometimes some of those kids are not good, but they're big. So, so they will push you around. So if you, if you uh, since you're a kid, whenever you join the league, you're either really, really good if you're small or you're, you're very physical that you're going to push kids around. That's when you get to the city league. Now, okay, you, so yeah, go ahead. All right, so let me, let me understand one more thing. Hold on. So let me again, let me in the States. Our Hold on, it's, it's breaking up again. I can't hear technical you. Difficulties. Let me hit pause and then we'll come back. Hey guys, so we're back. If you're just joining, this is the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm interviewing Ruben Rivas about youth soccer and Sam McGill. We had a quite uh, a quick uh, technical glitch, so I hit pause. So it may sound a little disjointed, but now we're back. And, and Ruben, let me repeat my understanding and for the audience so far, and then we're going to tee this up again. So in um san miguel there are three major components of soccer right now there's some really unorganized stuff and it may be more but this is what i've understood so far and then you can clarify yeah. there's clubs that play in the city league and those clubs are sanctioned by sort of national teams so the national teams understand that and i'm going to go out on a limb and say that there's some level of carding i'm not sure but there's some way of them knowing that the same kid is not playing on five different teams and that kind of stuff. And even those, you have to kind of be de halfway decent and try out. It's not like you're automatically going to be on those city teams and they play each other. And then you have the quote-unquote academy that is a true academy in the way that the rest of the world understands it, which are professional clubs who have youth organizations and they go to those city teams and they scout those kids and only a small select group of those kids actually make the academy clubs and even at those younger ages those academy clubs have international talent mainly in the region but also as, as far as europe yeah. who are um many of them are professional players and obviously some of them are going to be licensed so we're going to unpack the academies first but what i'm really want to dig into is my child gets there irrespective of talent level yet because we know about the academies I want to unpack the city leagues. Is it like our high schools in that each club or even our clubs here, um, they have their leagues and each you can play. There's a lot of clubs available in our towns and they all play each other. Is it like that? Yeah. So basically, if you're with your child, then people, you know, and you ask people around, they're going to tell you, oh, you know what? Go take the kids to this club. So the kid is going to come and it's, it's not like a formal tryout. He's just going to go and train with the kids and the coach is going to be looking and the, the kids are going to be testing him to see if he's good enough to be in the club. And then the coach is going to be like, ah, you know, he still needs to work some work or the coach is going to be like, ah, you know, I can work with him. 
So just let him, you know, let him be on the team. And, and those clubs also, they don't pay. There is no, what, what they do in those clubs, those clubs are usually organized community clubs from like, for example, uh, like a Kerry, one of the, uh, one of the main uh, communities in Kerry. Or it will be similar to like a, like a football, high school football team. Where if the kid, you know, the, the kid go and, try and do, does like a, a tryout and if, if they're good enough, they're going to they're gonna see what his situation is. If, he, if he's not going to be, I mean, some, some parents are wealthy, so they will pay, but the majority of them don't pay. Like I said, it's just like being on a, on a, on a high school or middle school football team. So that's basically okay. what we've seen in, in, in San Miguel. All right. So if I move there, you're going to tell me right now you have two organized options, the academy and the, um, and the city team. And yeah. then I'm going to go talk to the coach. And if my kid is good enough and fits in, then they can play. And more than likely, I'm not going to have to pay any money for them to pay, pay for that city team. No. All right. Now, let's assume – and then how much those city teams, before we get into whether or not I can make it and what's required, how would you describe how much of those city teams practice per week and what is the coaching like? And help us picture it. How organized and how structured is it? Okay, so the city team, they usually practice two or three times a week. Usually the coach of, because it's a community club pretty much. So usually the coach from that team is somebody that used to play professional or second division or third division. Because a lot, you know, a lot of all these, these academies, they produce all these high level players and then they want to be coaches, but they don't, there is not enough academies for them to be coaches. So a lot of them, they just go back to their community and they said, oh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join the coaching staff for the community team. So, so that, those, are the, those are the people that are training these this, this club kids. Okay. So to help our listeners understand, if you had to be a big generalization, completely unfair generalization, but I'm just trying to get an idea of what we are talking about. If you had to compare the level of coaching you're going to get at the city team to your typical, you know, uh, American travel soccer coaching, say middle of the road, not the not the uh, gold academy team, but just the average travel soccer coaching. How would you compare it? Same, different, better, worse? What do we think? What are we talking about? I, I would say the level of the club over there, I would say is better simply for what we were just talking about because you don't have to pay uh in, in those in those clubs of course there in the city league there's a, a few three or four clubs they're private clubs and you know th this is where the wealthy communities come and they, they have their organized but the majority of those clubs you don't have to pay so people the coaches are not going to keep a player that doesn't belong there you know because sometimes you have to keep players because they're paying but in, my, in a city club if you're not if you're not paying if you're not paying and you're not really good, why would they keep you there, you know? Yes, but what about the level of coaching, sort of more of an agnostic perspective? Like, I know it's a hard, hard question, but basically what I'm trying to get at is, as a parent, I moved there from Cary, okay. right? So I know in a travel soccer club here, and I know it's hard, but I'm just trying to make a broad comparison. Um, okay. Here, you're going to get a licensed coach. If you play in travel, you're going to get someone who at least – got maybe a level D license or something like that. What am I going to get? So we've established I'm not going to pay, which is great, but what am I going to yeah. get in that city club? Okay. And the answer to that is over there, they don't worry too much about licenses in the club, um, in the club league. And the reason why is because the majority of the people coaching in those clubs are people that used to play pro or second division. So they're like, oh, you know, you used to play pro. You used to, so don't worry about the license. You can get it later. You can get it later. So a lot of those coaches, they don't even have licenses. Sometimes you, you find a few that have licenses. A lot of those coaches, they don't even have licenses because they used to play pro or semi-pro. Um, former professionals, even at a very high level, and they're using this as a stepping stone to eventually get into academy-level training, coaching. Okay. Yeah. Now – You've established they're gonna they're gonna train about two days a week. How often? How long is a typical season in those city clubs? Again, in the states, travel club. I'm gonna train 
three days a week. I'm going to play a game on the weekends. And the season is about 10 months. So how long is the season there? Over there, you have you play all year. You have two seasons. Uh, you know, and then you have maybe like a month of break. Okay, so you're going to have about an 11-month season, and you're going to play all the uh, two seasons in 11 months. And then the if, you, if you had to describe the gaming program, I'm assuming you're playing other city clubs. Are you playing games every week? And is there any, mm, like, structure in terms of division? So I'm in the city club, Division A, Division B, Division C, or one, two, and three. Or is it just – how does that work? Or youth soccer is only one division. That's it for for the club. I mean, okay. you you are in the league. They usually it's usually fifteen twenty teams. And uh, the way it works is that you know if if you win the league, then you go play regional, and then you go play national. So can you do that even at the U say ten level, or is it is it a certain point where you get to that regional and national? It starts at U twelve. Okay, so I joined this city club. Again, I have to not try out, but I have to be approved. I have to make the team. The culture there is going to be a lot more competitive because they have more um, kids than spaces. Coaches is going to, are going to be ex-professionals. By the time you get to U12, U13, if you win your league, you can play in regional tournaments against other equivalent of San Miguel uh, uh, club. Regional champion. Regional champion. And then you can even go all the way up to the national. Yeah. Okay. And then presumably those academy scouts are going to really be looking at kids in those regional and national tournaments. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. Well, the, 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 the scouts is a little bit different. And i tell you why it's a little bit different. Because okay. have third and second division. So in, in El Salvador, unless you play in an academy, whenever you're 15 or 16, you already get a recruit by third and second division teams. Wait, unpack that again. Say now, say that again. Okay, so basically, over there, the, so the academies are the one that you're expected to make it the first division. You know, those are the, the, yeah. the big. And then in the club, whenever you're 15 and 16, you already have second and third division teams trying to scout you. Yes. Okay. So I understand. you? Okay. All right. So we've established that you're gonna practice at least two days a week. You're going to play games. As you get older, you have an opportunity to play at the regional level and then even the national championship if you're, if you're successful in your domestic city league. Yeah. Now, and you said, if I, if I understand this correctly, every year these, your academies, at least in San Miguel, have a tryout as well. So it's not like Manchester United in the sense that Manchester United won't have a trial every year. You have to literally get – scouted and invited to the club yeah no in san miguel no in san miguel at least when i was there in the 90s every year they had open tryouts and anybody can go try out okay and, you know and then they will pick you know the, the players that they needed all right so before we dig into what the academy program looks like again let's say that i get there and um you know my child makes the city team okay yeah but I know as a parent, I want my child to make an academy team. I want them to be ready for the academy. Yeah. And I, you know, I like my city team. That's fine. But for whatever reason, I feel like I want them to get more training and even maybe even more games. In the States, here are, here are my options. I can sign my child up for another team. In addition to the team they're playing with, I can sign them up for a totally different another team. The big difference is, and I learned this from interviewing people in the UK, in the States, culturally, they don't like that as much. So they don't, culturally, they don't like for you to be committed to one, one club team and then play for another club team and all together. That's generally frowned upon. Where in the UK, I'll use the UK for example, it's not uncommon for you to be part of multiple grassroots clubs. All right. So one of my options is to join another club. I'm going to get extra practices and extra games with that club. So then that's one option. I can also in the States, they have all these skill clinics. So I can pay money and take my child and they get an hour, hour and two of these skill clinics where they're working on technical stuff. Not a team, not a club, 
not a nonprofit, for-profit, normally run by some ex-professional and somebody who has some business acumen, and they're going to train my kids, kid. And there's obviously a robust private training uh, industry as well where I can get my kids some private training. Okay. In San Miguel, I'm playing for the um, city team. We're practicing twice a week and playing games on the weekend, but I, I want my child to get four days a week of training or whatever. Okay. Five days a week. I want them to join another club. Do I have any options? Can I do that? Okay, I'm going to tell you, and this is, this is something completely different that happens over there. Because over there, soccer is like footballing here where everybody likes it, everybody plays it, is everywhere. So over there, you have, when you play club, you have so many options because me, for example, whenever you're in the academy, the academy doesn't want you to play anywhere, but you can still do it anyway. So when I was in the academy, I was playing for like two different community teams, like a rec. I was playing indoor soccer. Uh, and I was, I was playing around with my friends anytime I had a chance to uh, pick up soccer. And on top of that, sometimes we will go to beach tournaments with the community. So you have soccer everywhere. You have so many options over there. And that's when you get people that are really, really good. Because even though they play in the academies with professionals and everything, they're playing soccer everywhere. Like even when you go to school, every little break that you have, people just go and play soccer in the basketball court. So you, you're playing soccer over there 24 seven. Okay, so let me unpack that for a second. And one thing, and I always have to, my guess, I'll leave the show with a headache, I guess. I want to unpack one thing. When you say community team, is that some official organization by the municipality? Or is that like me, you and I decide you, we're going to create a nonprofit and we're going to do soccer? How, what is the community team? It's just, it's kind of like rec soccer. It's kind of like rec soccer. So you can play for the academy, and, and then if your parent or you want to get extra games, you can go and sign up for another community team. Yeah. Okay. But you can't put the rec label on these teams because everybody plays soccer. So they don't have people in those leagues. They're not going to be, like, with two left feet, per se. Yeah, I mean, in those rec soccer, sometimes you have – People, because this is why this is why you have academy and club people going to play to the communities, uh, uh, to the recs, you know, leagues. Because the people in the recs would actually offer you money or they will offer you other stuff. Like when I was 13, people from rec teams will come and get me at my house. They'll pay for my lunch. They will offer me all kinds of different things because they want to win, you know. So in those rec teams, you have a few kids that don't know how to play. The majority of them are decent level. And you have a few people you know, that come from academies and stuff that know how to play and somebody's giving them something so they keep them in the rec team, you know? Yeah, so there's a lot of parallels there with my interview in Ghana and Uganda for that matter. So in Ghana, oh God, how did he describe it? It was basically like that, where the community wanted to be other communities so they would make sure they had, you know, the best kids on their team. Yes. And then in Uganda, not only did the community want to beat other communities, but you would have people who would create leagues and then the community would win money if, like the community paid into the pot. And if your team won, they would make money. So I get that. We don't have that at all for the most part here. The closest thing we have to that uh, is when I grew up, American football, they would kind of do that a little bit. And then AAU basketball does that sort of. Um, it's a little bit more structured in how they do it but they kind of do it and they do it through uh, endorsements like these youth clubs get these nike endorsements or these converse endorsements adidas endorsements and those coaches go out and recruit the best kids in the city to make sure they're on their team so we we do that a little bit but not definitely not in soccer and nowhere near at that level okay so that's good to understand so we've established that now I'm going to ask one more extreme, and then we're going to go to the other end of the spectrum where you're really talented. I moved there. My child has never played soccer. They want to get into soccer. What? But they're just not played. They're no good. Yeah. What structured opportunities are available for them? If Because they're not going to make the city team, as you described it so far. But are there other city teams that sort of like come as you are with just having fun? Yeah, the rec also structured. 
Yeah, the recommended ones, yeah. But how how do those rec – so there's a distinction between these city teams that play in the nat regional and national and then the rec community teams. Well, the, the rec is just – it's a little organized, but it's not too organized. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they usually and, – and you can also play for uh, for the school team, like elementary or middle school team. Um, and, and, and then, they, again, you also have the, the – the, the, the thing over there is like every community has a soccer field, every community. And those soccer fields, every day they're packed. So that's what everybody goes every day to play soccer. Every day after work, five, six, you're going to see all those, all those fields packed with kids. Sometimes you have the community team training and then everybody else is playing pickup soccer. So the kids that are not very good, but they want to get better, they just go play pickup, pickup, pickup until they start getting good. And then they start joining the community direct team. And then they, they start moving up. Okay, so we've established that. Now, let's fast forward. I moved there, and my son is completely lights out. He is the best thing since Maradona, Ronaldo, and Messi all put together. Now, we've established that he can go and try out for the academy team. And in this fictional story, he's definitely going to make it because he's that good. Yeah. All right. Now, what is he going to receive in terms of the number of days he travels? Let's say he's 10 or 11 at the moment. I'm not travel, sorry, trains in the games. Like, what is he going to actually experience? Okay, I would say that at 11, 12, that's when they start the, the elite, elite training, you know, the, the more complete. And you, you have at least four or five times a week training with professionals. You have the games. That's, that's where, you know, that's, that's the academy. So in the academy, usually the academy has the team in the city league. But the academies also, they schedule games with other academies. So they have two competition games. Well, and those, will my 12-year-old or 13-year-old, is that one team that's playing in the city league and also playing against academies? Or are there two teams at 12 and, you know, at 12-year-old? No, it's, it's, it's one team. It's one team. And what they do is when they're, they're playing in the City League, if they're playing a team that is not as good, they will use the, the you know, the, the reserve players, the, the bench players, you know. And then whenever they go to the academy competition or when they play the best club in the City League, that's when they use everybody, the, all, all the good ones. So basically because, you know, the, the, the academy is going to have a roster of 18, 20 players. So whenever they, they in, in, in the city leagues, they're usually going to be the top teams. So whenever they play a team that is not as talented, they're going to use the people, they're going to give playing time to, to the kids. But whenever they play against the, the, the good clubs and everything, in there, no, not everybody gets playing time. It's, it's just, just the better kids are going to play, and the other ones are just going to, you know, just going to keep working. Now, what I'm trying to understand and get through my head is, are they part of a league that those city kids, city teams are also? Yeah, yeah, they play. If you played academy, you play for, in the city league and you play with the academies. Oh, and so the academy, but does academy have its own academy league and then you play in parallel with the city league? Yeah. Oh, okay. And, okay, all right. So, and then that's a pipeline for your child to then become a professional footballer. Yeah. Most, mainly, mainly the Academy National League it starts at like 14. That's where you really go play other academies. Before that, it's the, the academy just playing the city league. And to the best of your ability, what is the time that you can actually get compensated to play soccer? Well, in El Salvador... You can start getting paid when you're 15 or 16, but if you if you play third division, second division, or first division, but most of, most of the the majority of people start getting paid in the first division when they're 17, 18. It depends on how good they are. But yeah, there is a few people that are 15, 16. They join second and third division teams and they start getting paid. But then, if you are on those second and third division teams, are you playing against academies that are all that are in no. first division? No, you are playing. Well, you are playing. You're playing in in second and third division. You're playing with if some academies have teams in second and, and third division, and you're playing against them. But you're playing. You're playing grown men, fifteen, sixteen. You're playing against against you know 
against uh, small city teams. Okay, okay. All right, so if you're just joining, this is Neil Crawford with Anytime Soccer Training. You're listening to the Inside Scoop, and we're having a wonderful conversation with Ruben Rivas about how soccer Number one, you can't put the rec programs in a nice little box like we do in the States where rec is almost exclusively for kids who just want to have fun and haven't been playing much. That's number one. Number two is there's no pay to play as we know it, right? Number three is you have three big buckets of – of uh, organized soccer, which you talked about the rec, which is organized by the community teams. You have these city leagues, but they are actually pretty competitive and and can play regional up to national. And then you have these academies and these academies play some of those city in those city leagues as well as their own academy. Now, one thing I can't picture though is when those academy kids get to that 17, 18, they're gonna be, or 16, 17, 18, won't they be too good to ever play a quote-unquote city team because it'll just be so much more experienced, right? Well, by the time by the time you are sixteen and seventeen, very few um, very few people stay. Like the majority of people, they just go to the second and third division to start getting paid, or they move to this reserve in in the in the um, from the pro team because the the professional team also has a, a reserve team, which is where they they just play their reserves. So if I understand it correctly, by the time you get that age, you're going to exit out of the youth program altogether, and now you're going to sign a contract, and you just happen to be 16 years old. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. It's 17, they're already looking for money. They're not looking to, to be playing for free anymore. Okay, I got that. And Ruben, I mean, this, I'm almost at the end. So, um, all right, so I got that. I'm looking through my notes. Now, the academy-level coaching – Based on, I'm sorry, it's cutting up a little bit. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Where Where do you coach at here in the states? Well, right now because of the whole pandemic, I just joined a program called Coerber, which is is about skills and all the stuff. It's it's a program that comes from England, you know. Yeah, I'm uh, familiar with them. Okay, so I'm, I'm working right now in here. But before here, I was working for the Sevilla Academy in Miami, which okay. was of, of the Sevilla from Spain. Uh, we, I was starting with them when this whole thing happened. So I had to, you know, everything stopped. Before then, I was, I was with the Juventus Academy in Miami. And before that, I was with uh, uh, Lexington Soccer Club here in South Carolina. Before that, I was uh, assistant uh, at Newberry College, second division here in South Carolina. And I work as an assistant with uh, Irmo High School here in South Carolina, too. Oh, okay. So it's safe to say that you have an extensive background in coaching here in the States, and you obviously understand how youth soccer works in El Salvador. And so you're going to be um, supremely qualified to give me your opinion on what I'm about to ask. See, as a parent who didn't grow up playing soccer, especially, it's hard for me sometimes to picture, you know, when people criticize coaches or, you know, American coaches or this, American coaches that, I can't really picture it because I didn't, I can't, I didn't grow up playing soccer, right? So some things I can notice, but some things I can't. Okay. How do you, how would you compare, if you had to put it in a nice little, very unfair bow, the level of training I would receive if my son or my child would receive if they were in a top academy in San Miguel, how would you compare that in general to the training that they would receive in these various other um, organizations that you've been a part of? And again, just in general. I, you know, I just think that has a lot to do, first of all, with the country, because like I said, El Salvador soccer is number one. So, I mean, you, if you, you know, you either play soccer or you play soccer. There is no, like, people that don't play soccer over there, it's like nobody, they don't even exist. People don't know who they are, you know? So, it, it's almost the same as football in here. And in addition to that, the club where I grew up from with is, is a club that has been uh, 16 national, 16 times national champion in a professional level. So, 
once you join the academy, it's all soccer, 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 winning, 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 winning. So it really depends, you know, the academy is really intense. Everybody used to play pro over there, the coaches, the staff, everybody wants to play pro. Everybody wants to win. You know, we used to go to other countries too, to play in Central America. So it's a very competitive environment. And, and in here, you, I'm sure you probably only get that with the, with the academies. But it's just culturally, it's just a completely different thing. It's like, like I said, whenever you play academies over there, everybody wants to recruit you. Everybody wants you to go to play for their team and all the stuff. So you have, I mean, soccer is pretty much everything. But let me ask you this. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Like, so let's say attention to detail. I'm just using this as an example, right? So one of the things I like about my son's club, as a matter of fact, is the, uh, the director of coaching and the director, he's, he's from Trinidad and his son's playing on the national team and he has some that play in the MLS. So he has a really attention to detail. He doesn't like accept um, like you just doing the wrong thing over and over again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is it like, and I can compare him and his, his attention to detail to what I've seen in other clubs. Is it like that? Do you see the intensity is different? Do, or do you see that kids have different priorities or the coaches have different priorities or is there anything tangible that you can say, wow, this is totally different than what I remember? Well, again, like I said, comparing it to my experience playing academies over, over there, the bigger, the bigger uh, difference is that, that in here, when you're coaching kids, you can't, sometimes you can't be too strict about things because they have to be there, they're paying. Over there, whenever, if you were one minute late in the, in the academy, you were one minute late, you were going home. If you were any little thing, they will send you home. It was a lot more serious, you know. And in the clubs in here, I mean, some kids, you know, they, they go over there and they, you know, they like soccer, they want to be there. But it, it's, culturally, it's just two different things. What about the technical um, ability of the kids, if you had to um, – summarize it like in a broad stroke just technically on the ball how would you compare it's very different too because over there kids are playing soccer all day every day not just in clubs but in in uh, in, in this in pickup soccer you know and in here a lot of these kids are just train three two times a week and that's it that's all soccer maybe four times a week and that's it they don't they don't play that some of them go training at home the majority of them don't and over there you you're playing soccer everywhere you go so, and so that, that makes sense to me. So here's another thing I can't picture as a parent and I want to get your insight on. Okay, so obviously anytime soccer training is a program designed to help supplement kids training at home and I created it and I'm a parent. So you obviously know I train my son, right? Yeah. Way before I created this product, that's what I do. I train my boys. Okay. So two things. Culturally, do parents, from what you remember, I know times have probably changed a little bit, do they actually train their kids, like deliberately train their kids, or is it kind of number one? So do parents actually train their kids? And then secondly, in terms of your technical expertise, in your opinion, does that come a lot from just playing all the time, or is there any like deliberate practices going on not at the club but you know in the backyard i mean some parents do train the kids but the reality is the majority of kids over there they just go play soccer and play with people that are older than them you know younger guys younger cousins younger siblings and that's how they start getting really good i mean over there of course they go, sometimes they go with their dad to the field and their dad will show them a little bit home but most of it is doing outside either in front of your house in the little patio or, or on the field. You know, people are always playing soccer everywhere over there. So that leads me to one of my last two questions. So the, the next question is, you know, in the States, they talk about early sports specialization. That's a buzzword here. And for our listeners, I'll just define that as exclusively playing one sport at the exclusion of others, okay? This is a very unique thing. I lived overseas for a very long time. So it is a little unique in the States how it's not unique that kids play different things. It's kind of unique that our other sports are so powerful and so popular. 
So it's very unique to have very, very strong baseball culture, very strong American football culture, very strong American basketball culture. And now soccer is becoming more popular. And then we have a very strong hockey culture. And I actually enjoy the, the tapestry of sports here, but it leads to very interesting conversations because we have, you know, a lot of opinions. And in some research, it says, you know, kids should play all these different sports for different reasons. And I'll tell you where I land on this after I give your answer. But what I want to get first, before we even talk about opinions, is just what you see out there. Do, do parents grapple with this issue? Like, oh, I got to get my child involved in, I don't know, baseball. Do they even, is this even a thing? Before we even get into your opinion, is this even something that people actually think about? You mean over there? I mean, yeah. You only have two main sports over there for men, and it's basketball and soccer. And uh, basketball is just uh, basketball is just to be popular in, in, in high school, and that's it. After that, there is, is there is a professional basketball league. Nobody really cares. Nobody really follows. So everybody's just it's just soccer. You know, soccer is the main thing. So if I were to tell a parent there about sports specialization and the issues of surrounding sports specialization, I mean, what would they even think? They would be like, yeah, they can play. I mean, people play tennis, uh, but right now they're bringing American football over there too, and people liked it. But, uh, but the parents would just be like, yeah, they can, it would be good for fun, but the main one is soccer, you know? Okay. And then, so where I land on this is, I think it's great for kids to, especially in America, to experience different sports because culturally that's just going to help you fit in with your friends. Yeah. And I think there are some motor skills that you can acquire early on. And I think, but more importantly, I, and I tell parents, and this is my personal opinion, playing those other sports are going to help you become a better, well-rounded individual. Yeah. You're going to just enjoy life better. Yeah. But I don't think it's going to actually make you a better soccer player in any material way yeah like my my son i actually coach him playing flag football and he plays basketball but i don't know if that's gonna translate into soccer but it does make him a happy child so i love that he does that all right so that's how i feel about sports specialization and i enjoy your opinion and and ruben we we got there and i and man of all the countries all the cities i've talked to i think El Salvador has the, the biggest sort of cultural soccer. I mean, it's the number one sport in soccer. Like, even in the UK and stuff, soccer is everything. Don't get me wrong. But they yeah. still do have a little bit of rugby. They have athletics. And now basketball is coming, coming along in France. They have basketball and stuff. But it, soccer is still... You know, you're getting into the top 90% of the kids, but they do have a little bit. But what it sounds like from you is it's even higher than 90%. It's sort of like everything. Oh, let me tell you something interesting. You know, Sabo went to war after a soccer game versus Honduras. It was a war, like a real war. Really? Yes. It's, you can look it up on Google. It's called the, the soccer war, El Sabo versus Honduras. I'm going to post – you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to invite you to my Facebook group, Anytime Soccer Training. And I want you to post. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's... We, oh, that, that does, you do remind me of one more thing, and I'm going to let you go, guys. This is Neil Crawford with the Inside Scoop. I'm having a wonderful conversation with Ruben uh, Rivas about soccer and San Miguel. He's, he's juxtaposing that. And we're talking culturally about juxtaposing soccer there to here in the States. So here's my, uh, my it was one more thing. So I want you to post uh, that. And the final question I'd like to leave with, in terms of the sideline behavior of parents, and it's well documented what parents are like in the States. I actually think parents do get a bad rap in the sense that the majority of us just sit there and enjoy the game. But there's enough of us at every game that ruin it for everybody else. And I'm not gonna go into, I'm not gonna go into that. We all know, we are, if you're listening to this podcast, you've been to a youth soccer game in America or a youth soccer game where you live. How would you compare the sideline behavior back when you were playing and what you have seen in uh, in El Salvador, San, San Miguel, and culturally, is it how do the kids think about it? And what I mean by that is the sideline side behavior when I was growing up in America playing basketball and football, 
I would assume by modern sensibilities would be considered bad, but I didn't think about it. I just, I, I just, this is how people acted. So yeah. I want to get, um, get your perspective on the sideline behavior of, of uh, soccer in, in your city. It will be very similar to what it is in here. Baseball, basketball, and football. Parents will have a big egos because they used to play the game. They used to be pros and my pro and all this stuff. So they want the kids to be better than they were, you know? So they put a lot of pressure on the kids. So in, in club soccer, the parents are very, very passionate about it. In academy, it's different because in academy, you have people that used to play professional at the highest level, you know, those coaches, in there, the parents have to behave more because they can't just tell somebody that used to be a national team player, you know, somebody that used to play in Spain or, or Mexico pro division. But in the club level, yes, in the city, yeah, the parents are very, it's going to be the same, similar to what is football and basketball and baseball in here. Okay. And so then I'm going to, I'm going to end with this then. One more thing I forgot as you were talking. And, and to make the national team, in the States, we have two or three big ways. We have these national ID programs that they just created, and you might even know more about that than me. I don't think you pay for those, and you get selected. Maybe you get recommended by your coach, and you get selected, and you can go in those national ID programs. And some of those national ID programs you do pay for. And then we have ODP, the Olympic Developmental Program, which, you know, I'm not going to get into the pros and cons, but basically it purports itself as being another way that you can get identified and eventually make the national team. And then we have some just completely off the grid where they're spotted and they get invited to a national ID camp. Okay. How do you make the national team in El Salvador from a structural perspective? Okay. In El Salvador, you have to be an academy player. You have to, in the youth level, you have to be. If you're not in an academy, you're not even, it's not even, you know, you're not considered. Now, Whenever you start getting older, you have more options. Because in the national team, you can be in second division, third division for the youth national team. Or high school soccer is pretty big over there. And that's another one we didn't talk about. But high school soccer over there is completely free. A lot of pro players used to, uh, used to uh, that are coaching used to play uh, pro. And, and the, you know, the high school is not just in El Salvador, but it's a, a big Central American tournament. So high school soccer over there, sometimes some of the best high school players, even if they haven't, they never played club with a lot of Indeed, they can go straight to national teams or they can get scattered by academies because high school soccer is, is high school, middle school, mostly high school soccer is pretty big over there. Oh, wow. Okay. And does the national team have these regional camps that they invite select kids to? Or nope. you just get plucked straight to the national team if they identify you? No, they will just, they will just, every academy has about three or four elite, elite, elite players. So those are the ones that go to the national team. Okay. So there's some kind of connection where the academy is like, listen, you need to check out uh, Ruben. This guy is lighting it up. And then you'll get invited to the national team. And then when you start playing with them, that's going to determine how long you stay. Yes. And when one of the, like, like I said, usually one or two high school players, that sometimes they don't play club, are picking to the national teams. But those are high school players that they won the regional, they won the city, they won the Central American games. So those those players, you know, they will go because sometimes some of these players, they, they, they can't really, some of the, they work and stuff. So they don't really, they, they don't really have the time to play club, but they're really good because they play a lot with their friends, they play a lot, a lot of pickup, and they, and they play a lot with their, with their high school, you know. So those are very rare, but some, sometimes they do make to the national team. And that's interesting because that's something I was going to ask you. Why, if you're that good, would you not play for club? But there's some life stuff going on that they may not be able to commit to club, but because they're playing all the time, they're playing in the college and their lights out, they can get noticed as well, which is totally different here. So we had one player um, out of California. God, I can't remember his name. He was like a holding midfielder who he probably played club too. But yeah. he was known for high school, and he made it to the national team. But other than that, you don't hear about it much here. Yeah, yeah. High school, high school soccer over there is not as big as, it's not as good as academy, but it's huge. It's very popular and, and everything. And they 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 compete regionally. They compete in in Central America. 
So some of those high school players are really good over there, even if they didn't play for clubs. And, but if, I, so, and if I go to a high school game, will it be like, you know, how Friday night lights are here? It'll be a lot of people in the stands watching it? It's not going to be a lot of fans. Uh, some, mostly the fans are going to be students, mostly. Um, so it's not like the only, the only sports that really get fans over there is the professionals. Anybody else, they don't really. Second division, they get some. But the first division is not the one that will get the most, most of the fans. And remember, too, that over there, a lot of the fans, if, if their first or second division isn't doing good, they're just going to stay home and watch La Liga because La Liga is super huge in, the, in those countries, too. Barcelona and Real Madrid. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, okay. So, man, I might have to get you back on the show and we can unpack this even more. So this has been Neil Crawford with the Inside Scoop. I've been interviewing Ruben Rivas. He's given, given us a lot of detail about what it would be like if my child lived in San Miguel. And I tell you, I wouldn't mind taking my son there just to see what uh, the culture is like, because he's always asking me what it would be like if he lived somewhere else and played soccer. So guys, if you've been listening, this is the Inside Scoop. I really appreciate it. We, it, with this show, we like to go really, really, really deep into um, understanding what it's like to play soccer in other parts of the world. And I'll tell you, Ruben, I appreciate your patience on this. I created this podcast not to be the most popular. It will never be the most popular. I created this podcast to help people who were really inquisitive about what it would be like if they lived and played soccer in another part of the world. Because I think these conversations need to be recorded and need to be understood if we ever as a, as a nation are going to elevate our own soccer um, culture and soccer performance here in the States. Because I think a lot of people are just talking and they don't even know what the details are. You know what I mean? And yeah. so a lot of people, for example, complain about pay to play, but I'm like, well, I agree, it's probably a horrible system, but at the same time, your child is getting training that they would not otherwise get if they didn't have a pay-to-play system. And coaches are sort of uh, uh, tolerating and, and working and nurturing your child because of pay-to-play where otherwise they may not. So I think there's some, there's some trade-offs there that you know, we gotta be careful with uh, as we think about how we wanna grow as, as US soccer. Hey, Ruben, this has been great. Guys, this is the Inside Scoop. Check out anytime-soccer.com to learn more about what we do. Um, thank you for listening, and let's get better together.